the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. the Nick D podcast and I'm your host Nick DeGilio. Welcome. Episode 114. It's a Friday. Hope everybody has a great weekend coming up. We got a really uh, a fun podcast for you. Uh, my co-host at our next live event uh, at Zany's in Rosemont on Tuesday, February 21st is my guest uh, today and that is the lovely Amy Guth who I used to work with at the car wash <clears throat> WGN uh, wrote for the Tribune uh, an incredible writer, podcast host. Uh, she hosts uh, Crane's Daily Gist podcast. Um, a, a great writer, a great screenwriter. She's been spending some time in Seattle, did a big cross-country road trip. We're going to talk about that and so much more. And she has agreed to be my co-host at our next live event. Uh, Esmeralda Leon, who, by the way, will join me later in the show for our regular uh, visit. We've got our magic, our, our magic megaphone message. And again, if you have a request for anything in that magic megaphone that you want to hear, Inside jokes, movie lines, anything you want at all. I'm a monkey. I'll do whatever you want. Tell me what to say into the magic megaphone. It becomes magic and hits the ether. Drop me an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. What do you want for a magic megaphone message? Or just leave me a voicemail. Again, the voicemail systems are wide open 24-7, any time of the day, any time of the week. You want to leave a, pod, or a, a, a voicemail, <clears throat> please do. 773-417-6948. But we will have a megaphone message. We're t- taste testing some interesting flavored uh, Asian Kit Kats. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about things that were once hated but were now are now loved. Used to hate it, now you love it. That's all coming up. But Esmeralda, who is you know my, my, uh, my, my podcast co-host, she is out of town on Tuesday, February 21st. She'll be in Mexico on vacation, um, having a great time on the beaches where it'll approximately be about 80 degrees warmer than it will be here. Um, but filling in for her will be my friend Amy Guth, who is my guest today. So the great Amy Guth is going to join us. Fascinating, wonderful, lovely person. And she is hilarious and fun, and she will be sitting in for Esmeralda. So you can see Amy Guth live and meet her and hang out. Uh, so me, Amy Guth, on stage together at Zany's in Rosemont on Tuesday, February 21st. Really want you to come out. We want to pack the place. We're going to have fun. It's interactive. You guys will be part of the show. You'll be part of a live podcast recording. John DeCoss is our special guest, legendary comedian, contributor, and musical director of the Steve Cochran Show on WLS AM 890. You can hear me on that show regularly as well. John's going to be there. We're going to interview him, and Amy Guth and I are going to be on stage. We're going to be telling funny stories. we got really great stuff to give away, including including dinners to the greatest restaurant on the planet, the Gale Street Inn. My friend George Karzis is like, hey, man, let me give you some stuff. You can give away some gift cards to the Gale Street Inn. So you might win uh, dinner to one of the greatest restaurants, the greatest restaurant on the planet in Jefferson Park. Check out galestreet.com. And uh, maybe you'll walk out of there lucky enough to have a gift certificate to eat the best ribs you'll ever have in your life. So I want to thank George and everybody at Gale Street Inn. Uh, for providing the wonderful uh, giveaways we're going to have. 
Um, I also want to thank uh, Ron and um, Jackie at The Basement. You can check them out uh, at mybasement.biz. They're the ones who uh, designed and uh, printed up and, uh, and, and put out the Nick D podcast t-shirts that we're going to be giving away. We've got t-shirts and coffee mugs and other really fun prizes. So it'll be interactive. You win some prizes. It'll be funny. We'll tell some great stories. You will be telling stories as well. John DeCoste is going to be there, legendary comedian, and Amy Guth and I will be on stage. And my 81-year-old dad is going to close the show on a Zanies comedy stage telling jokes he's killed both times in the past. And that alone should be um, enough for you to get your tickets now. We really want to pack the place. This is going to be a monthly thing. We want us to be a club, and we want, to be pa- we want it to be packed. So please, order your tickets now. Tell your friends. Tell your neighbors. Get tables full of people. We're going to have fun. It's going to be a blast. The last two times we've done it, it's been unbelievable, and the podcast itself has been very entertaining. And um, it's just going to be great. We're having a great time doing these, and we want to make sure that each one is bigger and better than the last one. And Zanies is like, yeah, we'll do it, but, you know. But we want Zanies to be happy that they're doing it. So we want to pack the place. Get your tickets now. Nick D Podcast Live, Tuesday, February 21st, rosemont.zanies.com. Order those tickets right now. Or you can call the box office at 847-813-0484. Me, Amy Guth, John DeCoste, my dad, on stage live. You winning prizes, uh, having fun, laughing your asses off. We're going to pack the place. Wonderful Zanies in Rosemont. So get those tickets right now. For Tuesday, February 21st, the showtime is at 7.30. The doors open at 6.30, and we really want to pack the joint. So, rosemont.zanies.com, the Nick D Podcast Live, Tuesday, February 21st. Order a bunch of tickets now, 847-813-0484. It'll all be recorded. You'll be part of a live podcast, and you could walk out of there with some really cool prizes and a lot of great laughs. And my dad's going to tell a joke. It's always a blast. So, a great time, and I want to thank Amy Guth for filling in for uh, uh, Esmeralda Leon and Amy Guth and Esmeralda Leon. That's who you're going to hear on this podcast. Oh, and you also hear her. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and I love Nick's show. I know you do, baby. All right, uh, another fun uh, podcast here. Episode 114 is kicking off, and my co-host for our next Live Zanies event on Tuesday, February 21st. Again, rosemont.zanies.com. Get your tickets now. Amy Guth, we're going to say hi to her after I say congratulations to you. Congratulations. You're about to listen to the Nick D Podcast. It's by far the best decision you've made today. It makes the other podcasts seem like crap. Oh yeah, don't be a jaggle. Yeah, there it is. There's the theme song for. Somehow, I feel like we should be at a rave, right, Amy? Oh my god, I feel like I need glow necklaces and little <laughs> space buns in my hair. That's amazing. I am delighted by that theme song. Yeah, that's Jason Skaggs, the great Jason Skaggs. I was like, hey man, write something for Amy Guth. He's like, yeah, give me a couple minutes, and uh, <laughs> and uh, the turnaround was great. This is uh, this is my old friend Amy Guth, uh, who I used to work with at the car wash, the old WGN. Um, writer, extraordinaire, journalist, host of uh, The Daily Gist. 
Yeah. Which is the Cranes uh, Chicago podcast that you can check out. And you can get all the information about Amy and her life and everything that she's doing at amyguth.com. That's G-U-T-H, amyguth.com. Amy, how are you? I'm well, thanks. It's been a minute. How are it's you? Been, it's I'm, I'm I'm all right now. You know, we spoke a a, a, a bunch of weeks ago. It was last year. Uh, it's a new year. It was. It's see a how new we year. see that's been a year. Ha ha. See that's always a funny joke, right? When people say that. See yeah. you next year. Ha 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 ha. Anyway. Dad jokes. Yeah, they're the best. Well, speaking of dad jokes, my dad's going to tell one at the tell a couple at Zanies. Um, I can't wait. I'm so excited for this. Well, so let me just excited. mention really quickly for people who might not know, uh, Esmeralda is going to be in Mexico where it will be approximately sunny and 85 degrees. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so she'll be in Mexico. And, uh, you know, I asked uh, Amy if she would sit in and be my co-host. And Amy, thank you so much for doing that. I'm so excited. It's at Zanies in Rosemont on Tuesday, February 21st. And you're my co-host for the night. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm delighted to fill in for Esmeralda and... I'm psyched for it. The only thing that might be improved is if we go to Mexico with her and do the show from there. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know if that's in the budget. Uh, yeah, probably not. Not yet. Yeah, Give it not time. Yet, not, not yet. Yeah. I mean, you do podcasts. You know that's not in the budget. So that I do. <laughs> oh, don't I ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's so great to talk to you again. Um, get a, a real quick uh, background on Amy Guth and, uh, and you know, what, what you've done and how we met and all that cool stuff. And then we'll talk about your current situation. Great. Yeah. So, so yeah. where do I start? <laughs> I do so many things. Um, well, yeah. So we we kind of uh, we were always passing the torch at at the car wash. Uh, my show would end and your show would begin. So we always did some great crosstalk. And uh, anytime I got to sit down and just talk with you at length, it felt like a treat because it was usually just like four minutes between commercials when we would talk, and it would always be on the air. Yeah. Um, so I'm I I love this and I love being on your show because it's so fun to get to talk with you at length, and also it's so good to swear with you because we both. Swear like sailors. Well, wait a minute. Hold on a second. Motherfucker, food eater. There it is. There, there it is. That's <laughs> what you gotta, and for people who are out of context, here I here we go. You just stay around here to fuck my mother and eat her food. Matt. Oh, he moves. You are a little fucking asshole. Try something. Jim. Jim. Motherfucker, food eater. Okay. Shut- that's River's from... Edge is never not a good movie to quote. <laughs> I have to play every time you're on. I'm, pl- you know, we're going to bring that soundbite to Zanies, and, um, and oh, sweet! So we will have that at our disposal anytime we want to hear it uh, while we're at Zanies. That's like that's one of our shared loves uh, from the movie River's Edge, which is the greatest, one of the greatest lines of all time. And and you did go back and say that every time you say "motherfucker," it's followed with "food eater." Absolutely. <laughs> Almost exclusively for years and years and years. Every time I say that, which is pretty often, I always follow it with food eater. <laughs> exactly. Well, um, it, 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 working at uh, the Tribune for, for a very how long did you work with the Trib? Um, I first started kind of like in a contract way that was like 2008-ish. And then mm-hmm. I was there till like the end of 2015. But I, I wore a lot of hats in the in the interim. Yeah, you did, didn't you? You were running around a lot. You were you were writing for Chicago Now, you were writing for Red Eye. Well, so first I was, uh, it was kind of a hybrid role where I was helping build Chicago Now and writing for it, but also trying to reimagine the book section of the Tribune in a digital way because it really didn't have a digital presence. And so I was doing that um, as the digital editor of the book section and then uh, moved because at the time... I was kind of covering the local publishing part of it. And then the, and then the iPad came out, right? So iPad and Kindle were suddenly a thing and it kind of shifted into a little bit of, a little bit of tech reporting because that was just sort of 
uh, publishing had kind of made this leap suddenly and it was different and, and where we got our, our literature suddenly, you know, we had more options for that. So I was doing that. Um, and then I moved into a role doing, um, a little more breaking news and working in a social media and SEO capacity for the Tribune newsroom. And then that kind of expanded out and I was doing some SEO consulting with the other Tribune papers, um, the other, uh, the ones mostly on the East coast, not so much with LA times. And then, um, and then I was basically like bitching about not enough women being in management. So they were like, all right, wise ass, go run red eye. So I did that. Um, and that was super fun. I mean, Red Eye, you know, Red Eye was always a good time. And it was such a fun group of folks that that was, you know, everybody there was kind of creative and still re- really willing to think outside the box. So we did a lot of fun things and and extended journalism into not just reporting, but like extended it out into videos and documentary and events and things like that. And it was a really fun time. It was a cutting edge time. It really was, um, you know, and there were certain people that, that got it and certain people that didn't, you yeah. know. Um, you know, it's funny because... Um, Amy on the on the on my last uh, SNL podcast because mm-hmm. I, I I host a podcast about SNL now, which is so fun, by the way. Well, thanks. Yeah, it's called that show hasn't been funny in years. And on the last one, I had Tom Hush, who we both yeah. know, who produced your show, and then I stole him from you. That's right. He produced my show for a while. And now he produces Steve Cochran's show on WLS, and I had him on because, as you know, he's young. He's a young mm-hmm. guy, and as you know, we were both at his wedding. He just recently got married, and he's not even thirty. And uh, we talked about, right around that same time period, there were massive changes happening everywhere because of technology and things like that. And on the last episode, which is out now, you can get it uh, at RadioMisfits.com, Tom and I talk about the Lonely Island SNL digital shorts. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. like, Lazy Eye, like Lazy Sunday, you know, with the, the Chronicles of Narnia and Threw It on the Ground and Dick in a Box and all those things. Dick in a Box, yeah. Um, and how they absolutely, literally changed the way that people consumed that show. And it happened at a time when people were like, what is this YouTube thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting that you talk about how, you know, the Kindle came about while you were working on it. And, and when we talked about it, and from Tom's point of view, you know, Tom was just like a kid when those videos started to pop up and he had no idea when he watched lazy sunday for the first five or six times he didn't know it was snl had oh no interesting idea. and then you know he was like 15 14 13 something yeah. like that so he was a kid and so like we talk about what how as a as a teenager as a young teenager how watching those videos uh changed the way that they consumed snl and turned them onto snl and it's interesting. Now, let me ask you the the uh, now you rem- obviously you remember all the Lonely Island, um, yeah, yeah things. And at that time when YouTube was like, what is this YouTube thing? And there was this college humor website and mm-hmm. all these other weird things that were just popping up. Do you remember seeing like really quickly your thoughts on? Do you remember watching the the Lonely Island stuff and going, wow, where where did this come from? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it was like this, uh, I mean, all of it to, to like span all of the kind of extra stuff. It was changing, fundamentally kind of changing the face of SNL. It wasn't just these like live sketch after live yeah. sketch. Here was a thing that was highly produced, kind of had this music video vibe, which I've always like RIP the days when we could just sit and watch all the music videos on MTV and VH1 yeah. and all that, because they were really, I mean, a lot of music videos were really cinematic and there was a lot of real people that are now really, really yeah. happening directors. Oh yeah. David that, Fincher. You know, David, David totally. Fincher started out. Yeah, doing, absolutely. Yeah. And it, cause it's, a, I mean, it's a, your challenge is make a complete story, make it cinematic and make it beautiful in about two to four minutes. That's right. a huge challenge. And right. a lot of directors did it. And I think really refined their skills 
skill in that. And I think that's kind of a lot of what we see with, with those kind of digital shorts. It's sort of this standalone thing that really pushes the boundaries of what format even is. Yeah. And, and I think that's fascinating because it's, they're hilarious. They bring this whole other level that you really couldn't do live, at least not very effectively or not as well, maybe. Right. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing is that it was there was uh, incredible amounts of resistance from NBC because they were like, well, why would we give this stuff away for free? Yeah, that was their immediate thought. And Lauren Michaels, who just didn't understand it. And it took them a very long time to go, oh, we see we get it now. And I think that was that was a thing that a lot of people who were maybe a little bit older or resistant or didn't understand the technology. A lot of people felt that way. Now, when the when the iPod and when the um, when the Kindle came out, as you were speaking about earlier, Mm -hmm. What was the vibe? What, how did you respond to it? How did the people who were there? I'm sure there were old school people. I'm still there are a lot of people who are like, I will read an actual book. And I do. Per- personally, I prefer a book. I prefer an actual book in my hand than reading it on, you know, on a Kindle or on my phone. Yeah. Um, but when that first kicked and you were there and you had to kind of alter the way you were covering literature and covering books, what was the vibe like you know, for you and for any, everybody around when that technology kicked in? Well, even I at first was like, oh, I'm a book lover. I can't imagine not getting my content on paper. And then I started kind of, I started to change because I realized I'm actually reading a lot more. I have the Kindle app on my phone. Um, I have an iPad. And the fact that I always have a library of books around me suddenly kind of changed things. What an interesting point, and it was kind of a a bit anecdotal, but it, it really seemed like a moment when the Kindle really took off and people stopped kind of being resistant to it is when Harry Potter books started to come out and adults started to read them. Because suddenly, like, it's that's a big book. All of those books are huge. Yeah. And they were kind of marketed to kids, but uh, they're great books and adults were reading them. And so schlepping around those giant books is a huge pain in the ass. So suddenly people are like, well, I can have like all of them on my Kindle. Yeah. And that like that started to shift a lot of things for people. And I remember having a conversation with somebody um, uh, with a with a writer and she was like, but how do you know what the people around you on public transportation are reading if you're reading on a phone or a book? And I was right. like, well, I suppose you could put a sign up that says, I'm currently reading this, but also it's none of their damn business, right? right. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, so now I'm kind of of the opinion that as long as people are reading, I don't really care how they get the content. Yeah. And I, But I think we saw the same thing with social media. I mean, I remember sitting in the newsroom and going, this is coming at us whether we like it or not. So let me just learn everything I possibly can and, and go forward. And at the same time I had, my first book was coming out and my publicist, I think I may have told you this story. My publicist's husband died and she like, I'm hitting the reset button on my life. I'm moving to another country. I'm out like right before my book came out, but they were like, Oh, you're first time author, not a huge loss. And I'm like, the hell it's not, Uh, I'm doing this. So I decided like, I'm going to just say yes to every social media thing And I did stuff like I crowdsourced my book tour. I said, hey, I'm going to, I know I have a gig in New Orleans, so I'm going to drive to New Orleans. I'm going to drive to Texas to see my brother and then drive back to Chicago. Internet, where should I stop between now and then? And, And people like took a stake in it. I mean, there's somebody I'm still good friends with who took the time to like help plan a a book signing and a reading in Oklahoma city. Cause he was like, Oh, people always go to Tulsa, but never to Oklahoma city. Come to this bookstore, do this. I'll set it up. I know the people. And then like made an after party and also like felt a stake in it. So he made sure a lot of people were there. And so it, it was like a fascinating book tour because I went all over the place. I ended up going to Canada and doing that because like people from the internet that I had befriended from Twitter were going, Oh, I will totally do that. And it sounds like 
shadier than it sounds. It, it was like actually people I kind of had gotten to know, but sure. um, I just said yes to all of that. And I was like blogging the whole way. I was, um, I was kind of recording audio, which is funny because now I, I kind of think back about that time. I'm like, oh man, if I had the tools then that I have now to record audio, I would have like, who knows what kind of thing I could have created, but I had like a little, like a little zoom recorder that I was like talking into as I was driving and then I would stop and buy more batteries for it. And then I would have the SD card and you know, now there's like apps I could do it. Um, you know, but I, I think it was just a matter of like saying yes. And there was a lot of people at the time that were like, Oh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm never going to put journalism on Twitter. I put, I put journalism in the newspaper. It will never go on a website or on Twitter. And like a lot of those people are not in journalism anymore. Right. I think, I think you just kind of have to adapt. You can't like unring a bell on some level and you have to kind of adapt to where, where are the people that are reading your content? It's true. And, and that's one of the things that, that got uh, brought up while we were talking about uh, the Lonely Island stuff uh, when I was talking about that with Tom. And also it's interesting because, you know, um, I had uh, Steve Johnson on my mm-hmm. show yeah. ma- many times, but many, many years ago. So here's how far back Twitter had just like become a thing. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had him on because Steve covered all that, you know, with the trip. Yeah, uh, for sure. And and so I had him on. I'm like, what is this Twitter thing? I mean, literally, we were like, what is this fucking Twitter thing? <laughs> and then he described it. Well, you got so many words, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, that's going to last 15 minutes. You know what I mean? Like right. I was being I was being a real, you know, like this is ridiculous. And then, of course, now years later, everybody is on it and it's expanded and it's become, you know, obviously it's become what it's become. But when it for I, I you know, people forget, I think like I remember talking with Steve and even Steve was like, yeah, I don't know about this one either. Steve right. Johnson, who's like one of the most knowledgeable people in the world. Totally. Who's been, covering technology and the internet and social stuff for years, even he was a little bit like, I don't know if this is going to work out. And uh, yeah, we were wrong. <laughs> yeah. And you know, there's a story that I've told many times about, about kind of a defining moment for social media for me. My grandfather lived a very long life. Um, he died in 2017. Actually, uh, it was, it was on Valentine's day of 2017 uh-huh. um, coming up on that anniversary, but he um, kind of part of his thing was take a nap every day, grow as much of your own food as you can, or at least know who grew it and always be learning something new. That was kind of his thing about longevity. And he started noticing little like Twitter logos and Facebook logos in, in his local newspaper. And he was like, what is that? Explain Mm. that to me. And I was like, how in the world am I going to explain Twitter to a 90 year old man? Right. So I like showed him Sears and craftsman's like, their social media presence because those are brands he knows. Absolutely, and, yeah. And 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 that particular day there was a, there was a customer service issue that happened to be posted, and someone was like, you know, you sons of bitches, I ordered this workbench and I needed four of this bolt and there's only three. Fuck you, blah blah blah. And this person responded from the brand and just said, so sorry you're having a problem. Give us your invoice number and we can get your address and overnight another one to you and no problem. And this person was completely deflated by that, right? Like the, their rage was deflated yeah. and they're like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. wow, yeah. well, thanks, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, my, and my grandfather was like, oh, actually, I've been waiting for this for a long time. This is a return to that person-to-person business model. It's not me with an 800 number against a big box. It's a person that even if I don't get my own way, they're going to hear me. This is kind of back to that business model yeah. when I knew my banker and I knew the butcher and the milkman and all that. Right. He was like very excited about that. And and that's always been like such a North Star to me about how to operate social media and its, and its power. Because, you know, look, we've seen like... Arab Spring happened because of Twitter when uh, when everything happened, uh, you know, in 
like a lot of the uh, a lot of the police involved shootings, there's been like media blackouts. And yeah. so people live streaming events changed like gave people access to see things that that we hadn't seen yeah. and fundamentally changed what it means to be a witness to something and, or right. to witness a crime right. it's no longer my word against uh, whoever it's it's here's the video of of what what i'm witnessing right. so i think it like it just had it, it quickly showed its impact i think and and became um you know became a lot more powerful but yeah like early on people were going tweet twat twit what like yeah. come on dudes yeah, <laughs> like, exactly it's a I, was thing. One, I was one of those people <laughs> yeah right people. and now we have to learn about about mastodon and they call the a, a tweet on mastodon is a toot because it's all about elephants mm -hmm. okay a and I'm toot. not quite there yet okay. where I say like right. oh I tooted him <laughs> it's funny because like everybody I was not aware of mastodon until Pretty recently, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, for me, when I hear Mastodon, I think metal band. I think the band. Totally. I, yeah. That's, that's the first thing I think. Mastodon. What? You know, like I immediately. Oh, I saw them I, at Pitchfork. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, that's not what I'm talking about, old man. We're not talking about, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, it's funny. You mentioned, uh, well, how are we going to know what people are reading on the subway? Because I take the train all the time. Yeah. And and every once in a while, I mean, not you know, actually on a pretty regular basis, there'll be, you know, maybe my trip down or my trip back or whatever. There'll be at least one person with an actual book, like mm -hmm. reading a book. And for some reason, it still warms my heart, old man that I am. I'm like, sure. oh, uh, so I like I like to see an actual book. But um, and I see people reading. But I, but everything that I see now, the, the discouraging thing that I see now is not a whole lot of people reading. I see a lot of people watching TikTok. And I and I have to say, I don't understand TikTok. I never will, I, you know, and I, you know, not to, you know, to be the old guy, I don't get it. I do not fucking get TikTok at all because anytime I've tried to watch TikTok or do anything with TikTok and I know it has something, it has everything to do with your algorithm, but every time it's always uh, some chick in a half, uh, in a half shirt uh, dancing to some lip syncing to some dumbass song and then like flashing, flashing her bra. That's it. Hmm. And I and I, and then my friends are like, "Well, dude, that's your algorithm. That's the problem. Is like you're a pervert. Right, you're looking at too much porn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what it is. But I mean, like, and then and then any other time I see TikTok, and I know that it's an important piece of social media, and it's used very well, and a lot of people get famous on it and rich on it. But it's always I, there, that's the only form of social media that I have uh, some sort of hurdle to get over. I just don't fucking get TikTok. You know, I think the people on TikTok that I have really enjoyed are the people that are doing something so incredibly specific. Like there's a woman, she's a she's a historian and she's going around and finding recipes that have been printed on people's headstones and making those recipes. That's so specific <laughs> That's and fascinating. Cool. Yeah. That's right. Cool. There's a uh, in particular though, Scottish TikTok is its own special land. Oh, okay. And and there is a woman, I think her, uh, what is her handle? It's glitter, uh, it's glitter, G-R-E-I-G-Y. And she has horses and one of the horses is named Stephen. And this woman with this very, very <laughs> heavy Scottish accent throws her door open and screams because this horse is lazy. And so she's always screaming because she thinks he's dead. And there's all these videos of just her <laughs> screaming at a horse named Stephen and they're hysterical or little Scottish children swearing, right? Yeah. And talking about being fucking freezing or whatever. They're hysterical. So I, I mean, try Scottish TikTok. Okay. I think you, I that's a good jam. And, and look, and here's the thing, Amy. I, I realize that there's probably a lot of great stuff on TikTok, but I have very little patience for it at this point. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, as soon as I go to it, I'm like, I can't watch this shit. I can't, another lip syncing? What the fuck? You know, like I can't. Yeah. And, and, and I, even if I'm scrolling like crazy, you know, trying to get through stuff, I just, I do not have the patience for it. And, 
and I've tried. I've actually cut a couple of videos, and I uh, it, because yeah. you know I've got a YouTube channel, and I I use the social media to promote stuff. And I, it's it's something that is beyond me. And yeah. finding something like Scottish TikTok, that sounds like fun to me. You know, it's hysterical. Oh. It's so funny. You know what I get bombarded with, and I cannot figure out why is uh, on Instagram and TikTok. I get all of these videos of of very lovely women applying really complicated makeup. TikTok and and YouTube or TikTok and Instagram really, really want me to wear a significant amount of makeup and like contour. So you put shiny stuff here or darker makeup here. So it hollows out your cheekbones or makes your nose look tiny and impish. And I'm just like, I I don't know. I don't have the patience for that shit. I can understand. And and Instagram to me is a weird one. I use it. It's a weird one for me because like, well, what I mean, I, I guess if you use an Instagram story, you can do the links and stuff. But when you just post something on Instagram, you know. Uh, you can't put links on it. Yeah. And I find that like, I find that frustrating because I want people to, I want to send people to stuff that I want them to click on. Yeah. And then you have to do that like link in bio thing. Right. Constantly changing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not real big on, you know, like my, you know, like my Facebook, by the way, I'm in Facebook jail as we speak uh, again. Um, But like my repeat offender, I am a repeat offender. That's absolutely (laughs) right. Um, But I, but I never put my own picture. I try not to put my picture up there. I put, you know, and so Instagram is a, is a thing. I'm not a picture taker. You know what I mean? Like I don't, so Instagram is not, I, I use Instagram to promote stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm not big on like, hey, I'm going to take a picture of this. I'm going to take a picture of me. I don't do selfies. I don't do any of that shit. But I use Instagram, uh, you know, in a way where I just want to, you know, you know, publicize stuff. But yeah. I'm not really big on me taking pictures of me or anything else. So it's a, it's a weird sure. thing. It's all good. Yeah. You do you, man. You do yeah. you. It's funny. I have a quick story about, uh, you know, you were talking about what are people going to be reading on the, you know, when you, you tell, I have a story yeah. about me reading something on the, on the, on the L that you might, uh, that you might think is funny. Tell me. Many years ago, uh, I was on the subway heading down to uh, WGN uh, many years ago. And this was when I was, I guess, I think it's just doing weekends at uh, mm-hmm. GN. And this was uh, um, early 2000s, maybe late, maybe late, late 90s. Something like that. And I was reading, at the time, I was reading J.G. Ballard's Crash. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who might not know, you've, have, you, have you read Crash, Amy? I have, yeah. Okay. So you're, fam- you're familiar with the, <laughs> the, the, the subject of the book and how fucking twisted it is. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. It's a very, very twisted book. And, and on every page, there is descriptions of people fucking or crashing cars. There is... Descriptions of semen spilling out everywhere and blood spewing everywhere. David Cronenberg made a, a, a remarkable movie uh, yeah. out of it um, years ago with uh, James Spader and Holly Hunter. Um, and it's a, but it's a very twisted, fucked up uh, movie and a really twisted book. And it's written by the guy people might not know. It was written by J.G. Ballard, who Empire of the Sun, mm-hmm. uh, Christian Bale played him as a child. That was based on his, his actual story in a camp during World War II. Yeah, and that so, book, um, the New York Times reviewed that book by saying, Crash is hands down the most repulsive book I've yet to come across. Uh, oh, not, and there was no pun intended on that come across part? Oh, right. <laughs> Probably not, <laughs> yeah, but okay. yeah, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I'm reading this book, okay? I'm reading Crash. And we hit a stop, and I think it was North and Clybourne. It was a red line. We hit North and Clybourne, and a, and a woman comes in, very attractive woman. I kind of look up, and I see her come out. I look back, and I sit back down, I, or I look back down, and I start reading my book. And she sits down next to me. And you know how when someone sits next to you on the L, and you can kind of feel that they're reading 
over your oh, shoulder. Yeah. You know what wow. I mean? Like you can say, you yes. can feel that. Well, so anyway, I'm sitting there, I'm reading Crash. She comes in, she sits down next to me and I can feel over my shoulder that she's clearly like reading what I have in my hand. <laughs> and I'm not, t- t- and I'm not, and I'm not kidding, Amy. 45 seconds later, she quietly got up, walked across the other side of the L and sat down next to somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> that so could have gone a lot of directions. She could have been like, "Hi, yeah. here's my number." Exactly, <laughs> also, and that would have been awesome. Been would, that would have been wow. Like, I'm definitely going to get along with you if you like Crash. I mean, that's right. fantastic. But yeah, no. But I that was always one of my favorite stories. You mentioned what are people reading on the on the L. It's one of my favorite stories ever. This woman sat down next to me, and then literally 45 seconds, she got up and walked away and sat next to somebody else. And she might have sat next to somebody who was like half naked drinking booze, but she'd rather sit next to that person than me. Sure. Um, that felt like so a safer choice. It, it was absolutely. <laughs> Although that would have been pretty cool if she was like, wow, you, yeah, this is really, I love this book. That would have been something else. Oh, Did that I, would be a super love connection if she was like, oh my God, you're reading my favorite book. Then it's that would like, have been it's amazing. on at that, that point. I was married, I believe, at the time. Uh, but I, oh, but it would okay, have been not on. Yeah. Well, uh, that, that marriage ended up really doing nothing. Anyway, hey, um, <laughs> here's a quick one. Did I ever tell you th- that I took a girl on a first date to see Dead Ringers? The- <laughs> no. I've never told, I've told you this story? No. Let me quickly tell you the story, okay? Uh, uh, so... Uh, for people who don't know, Dead Ringers, another David Cronenberg movie. And uh, you, by, by your response, I assume, obviously, you've seen Dead Ringers. Yes. Featuring Jeremy Irons in a dual performance. He plays twin gynecologists mm-hmm. who have drug addiction problems, and they invent these weird uh, tools to use on women because they think that they are mutant, their vaginas are mutant. And that's kind sure. of what the movie's about. So it's about drug-addicted twin gynecologists who uh, do terrible things to Jean-Vierre Bougeot. That's basically, and I took a girl on a first date to see that movie. Did you know what you were doing? Yeah, that's the that's the punchline. I had already seen it, and I took it. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) I took this girl because I was in my twenties. I was a dick, and I took this girl uh, on a date because it was a test to see if she was cool in my fucking ridiculous mind. I was like, Mm. okay, if she likes Dead Ringers, man, we're set. How'd that go? It did not go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. How do you think it went, Amy? How do you think it went? <laughs> I mean, it depends on the on the lady, right? Yeah. If she was a woman who was like, fuck yeah, I like some dark weird shit, you know, yeah. that maybe no, maybe that's yeah. a a, I, a woman to hang on to. But Yeah, no, she ran from the car screaming, and sure. I think she's still under her bed now. And uh, that yeah. movie came out in 1988. Yeah, no, so, but yeah, that's how much of a dick I was. I was like, yeah, I'm going to take her to see Dead Ringers. And I'd already seen it. I was a Cronenberg fan, you know what I mean? I'd already seen it twice, probably. And, <laughs> and, and, and it was weird, too, because, like, I had already taken a girl on a first date to see The Fly, and that worked out fine. You well, know? that's a little different than... Yeah, it Dead is. <laughs> <laughs> is it really, Amy? I didn't even know. Is it really... Dude, that's why. Well, you know, <laughs> that's funny though. I know a couple of people that have tests like that for first dates. Really, I know somebody? Yeah. yeah, that I used to work with, and he would always. I mean, he's he's long married now, but he used to always take women on first dates to eat ribs because he was like, I don't want like a fussy, high maintenance person. Uh, like, I want someone who can just like sit at a bar with me and eat ribs and just yeah, talk and be yeah, real. Yeah. And and if if she flinched at that, he was like, Nah, you're going to be more trouble uh, than you're yeah. worth. But I, I believe Dead Ringers is a little more disturbing than taking someone to see ribs. One hundred percent. Yeah. So anyway, 100%. I thought I'd share that with you. Is a, a, it's a good one. Know. Yeah. Good. Now and now, I, I imagine you're not going to be at Saney's then. Uh, now because. Of- <laughs> so there's this restraining order. I'm going to get. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, listen. Let's get to what you've been doing. It's really, really awesome. You are in Seattle as we speak. 
I am in Seattle as we speak. I got here right before New Year's Eve. Um, I drove here from Chicago so that I would have a car while, while here. And uh, it's kind of been this this writer's retreat. And uh, and I'm house sitting for a friend who is who is one of my writing partners while she's traveling. And so I've been in this very beautiful, quiet, wonderful house on a hill. I can see the the water and the mountains every day. And I have gotten so much I don't want to say I've gotten so much work done because that cheapens the whole thing. Like I've been digging deep and thinking really about like, what am I, what is my creative aim right now? What is yeah. my purpose on this freaking earth? Like I've been so the, really so kind of doing those. Yeah. Philosophical, philosophical shit happening. Right oh, now. oh yeah, yeah. yeah Big okay. stuff of just like what, what's, ha- what is happening next? What is my next, you know, chapter or what am yeah. I doing? And um, digging deep in that way. And I've been putting like post-its. I put on Instagram this picture of like post-its all over her kitchen floor. She has this really awesome, it's like this, you know, colorful, artsy, beautiful house. Um, And she has this wonderful yellow and orange stripey kitchen floor. And I had post-its all over it, just kind of figuring out. Because I've got a lot of, suddenly a lot of stuff going on. It like all kind of happening at once. Um, But I've been doing that and just working and writing. And it's been so good to just look up and see nature. I think that does so much for our our brains and our nervous systems, you know, to just sit there and, and look at the natural world. And and it's hard. You can't, like in Chicago, you need to go seek it out, right? You need to go to the beach or go to the park. But here, like everywhere you look, there are these giant, giant mountains and giant, you know, pine yeah. trees. And it's it's been really lovely. And how has that affected your writing? Um, do, do, have you just been letting it all spill out now? Or, or yeah. how, how, is, how has it affected your writing, in other words? I have been a writing machine. I'm writing yeah. so much so so much um like i didn't even know i had that reservoir sitting there and there was one day in particular kind of early on that i was writing longhand which i don't often do i mean i journal every day i'm I'm a lifelong journaler um but i i was writing longhand one day just kind of sketching out some ideas and suddenly just writing started pouring out of me and it was like 20 pages on a legal pad that i was just writing and writing and writing and and it, it was so wonderful because I feel like sometimes creativity is like a, a log jam. And once you get once you get it flowing, like ideas are just everywhere. And so I have this other legal pad sitting there just to capture the ideas because I'm like, yo, brain, I can't do five things at once. I can only work on one thing at a time. Right. Um, but I've been working a lot and writing a lot, working on um, working on some scripts. I have an idea for a new script that just kind of happened this week that I was like, oh, that's a thing that I could do. I, so I'm just kind of like batting that out. But I've also been doing a lot of pre-production. Uh, we talked a little bit about the Elvis film that yeah. I'm working on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you were so location that, scouting for that, right? You were the, you were there actually yeah. to look to find some. Did you find places? I found the perfect place because it's got to be a laundromat with a car wash outside of it, and that's kind of a very specific thing. And so it is. I fa- I found one out towards the Olympic uh, Peninsula, so so west of uh, west of Seattle towards the ocean, mm-hmm. and it's very beautiful out there. And it's about an hour and change outside of outside of Seattle. And I found this wonderful location, and uh, the woman that runs the runs the uh, the laundromat was could not have been more adorable. She was like, oh, movie people. And I was like, well, it's a short film and this is what we're doing. That's like, she was very excited yeah, about yeah, the yeah. idea of kind of yeah. being involved. And she was like, oh, I love Elvis Presley. Tell me more about this. <laughs> like it was very fun. Um, but it's this beautiful location and it's kind of on the back of it. There's this valley and all this, all these, uh, all this mist and fog was kind of coming up out of the valley. It was really beautiful. So um, yeah, so I'll be back out here, not in, you know, not, not too long in the future to film that. Um, 
but uh, been doing that and then working on this other nonfiction manuscript that I've that I've been working on that I've really felt called to do and it's it's about how to give creative feedback because we don't ever really train each other or ourselves right how to ask for the feedback we want and how to give feedback we just kind of either sugarcoat it or we crush someone's hopes you know and like kill them creatively and i think there's an art to it and i think it starts with the way we ask so anytime i've sent writing to someone i've always said you know i'm looking for specific feedback about this one thing and if someone sends me something to read which happens a lot i will always say what kind of feedback are you looking for right now? Because if, if what, if I read it and I'm like, Oh, there's a couple of structural problems with this, but they were just looking on like, Hey, does the dialogue sound natural? And I come back and tell them like, you got some structural stuff, happy to help talk it through. That might be like too early in that process for them. And it might actually kind of wound them creatively and stifle their work on it. And I don't want to do that. I want everybody to get their art out into the world. So I've been writing about that. And then I realized, you know, I know a lot of creative people that that give a lot of feedback. So I started interviewing people about their philosophies around seeking feedback around their work and how they give feedback. I've, I've talked to a couple of people that are in academic roles that deal with a lot of student writers and things like that. Um, and it's really been interesting just to, to hear how people, uh, how they handle that. So I got a lot done on that book too. So, wow. Yeah, that's really right cool. That's really cool. Boy, they, it's interesting to the whole um, constructive criticism feedback kind of a thing. Um, it's always been, it's always, I, I guess I honed my skills at that because I directed a lot of plays, right. um, and right. had to give notes and stuff. And so there's a way to do it without being a dick, you know, yeah. um, and there's a way to do it where it's like, you're on the same team and you want to help them. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's not it, at first, you know, when I first started directing, um, I, I, uh, I, I have to say that I'm, I'm much better at it now. Um, than I was when I first started, but it, it, there really is a skill to it and everybody's different. And that's the thing that, uh, that, you know, uh, is very important. You know, as you know, everybody will take this, this criticism or these notes differently. And you have to know that like every personality I've worked with tons of actors and actresses and each one of them is a different, like I have to be a, you know, sometimes I have to be, you know, a a, a therapist. Totally. (laughs) And, and so that goes, get goes into it too, right? When you're, when you're actually trying to help somebody out or giving them constructive uh, advice. Absolutely. And I, I, for a while with the op-ed project, I was working with a lot of academics, a lot of postdocs um, that were struggling with how to get their expertise into the world because a PhD helps you think about your work in such a very specific, tiny way. It was my task to then open it back up. And an example we often gave, um, the facilitators at Op-Ed Project that we often gave was was about about a woman who had done her PhD uh, studying the role of rumor in the French Revolution. And she was like, I don't really have anything to add to the public conversation. And we started to kind of unpack the idea of Twitter and and its role Mm. in in politics right now. And suddenly, who better than her to comment? Yeah on yeah. the importance of yeah, yeah. the role of informal communication in the political landscape. And, and so when that clicked, suddenly she was happy to, to, to like get on talking head shows and write op-eds and things like that. So it sometimes you're exactly right. Sometimes with, with theater, with film, with writing, with, with, with putting your knowledge out into the world as a, as a thought leader, a public intellectual, however, that's manifesting 
sometimes it's, it's a lot more like therapy and life coaching because it's really about what is your bigger message and what is it really saying? What can you speak to? What can you tackle? And that becomes a whole thing, right? A whole, whole huge thing. But I think there is an art to it. And I think it starts with the way we ask for feedback that, that said, I put in some examples in the manuscript of, um, where it's gone wrong. And, and so many times I have, I have, uh, I'm trying to kind of speak broadly to a lot of different creative, you know, platforms and types, yeah. but it's tempting to keep putting air checks in there because you and I both know being oh, air checked is God. a special kind of hell. <laughs> and for those who may not know, that just means you sit down with your, with your boss at a radio station and you listen back to your previous broadcasts play by play by play. And often that person will hit pause and go, what do you think just happened there? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't know. I was awesome and funny. No, yeah. no, that's not the right answer. Right. Were you ever hotlined? No. Uh, oh. The only time that I ever had to do that was when um, uh, Mr. Straight and I won't say his name, but you know, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the person I'm referring to made yep. everybody at the car wash sit with a consultant. Yeah. Uh, and I sat in a room with this guy, Tom Hush and I sat in a room with this guy for about three hours. And at one point, you know, and we did, you know, and he didn't, this is a guy who's never fucking hosted a radio show in his life. Never. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's one of those people that, you know, that the boss over at, uh, over at uh, the car wash right now thinks is like, this is the way that we should do radio is have a guy who's never done a radio show in his life come in and rip you apart and tell you that you have to do this and do that. And I'll never forget this. At one point he said, and I'm sure Amy, you've probably had to do this. At one point, he played something back, and I was interviewing a, uh, an author. And after, you know, I was like, okay, and uh, we'll be right back. And we got back, and he hit pause, and he went, what did you just say there? And I go, uh, what? He goes, what did you say there? Hold on, I'll rewind it. And he goes back and plays it again. And I said, okay, we'll be right back. And he goes, what did you just say there? And I said, well, I said, we'll be right back. He's like, why did you say we'll be right back? Because we're going to break. Yeah, right? and I said, what do you mean? I don't understand. He's like, why did you say we'll be right back? And then he played oh it again. Oh, my God. And then he played it again. And I'm looking at Tom because I was this close to punching the fucking guy in the mouth. And, <laughs> and, and, he, and I go, what do you mean, why did I say that? He goes, why did you say? And he goes, let me ask you a question. Did you leave? I go, what? He goes, did you leave? Oh, my leave? God. And I go, no. I said, <laughs> I said, we'll be right back because, I don't know, for 900 years, when you go to a commercial <laughs> in the world say. of broadcasting, that's what you fucking say. Yeah. And he's like, well, uh, in, you know, um, I'm sorry, did they leave? Did someone leave? And wow. I said, no, nobody left. Well, then why did you? So that's the kind that's of like, shit that I had. Yeah, it was unbelievable. It's a long walk for a short drink of water. It like is. he could have just said, hey, here's an idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, what did redlining um, explain for, for the people who might not know what that? Uh, hotlining, not redlining. Hotline. Redlining sorry, is hotline. a very no, different re- thing. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where my mind is, but yes, okay. <laughs> so hotlining is when you get feedback in real time while you're on the air. Yeah. And it's very difficult. It happened to me one time very early on in my radio career. Um, I had a co-host and he, we were talking about some news that had happened in Texas and we were kind of at the end of that and going to move. We needed to kind of fill a minute or two before we went to break and then, um, then go to our guest that was going to come up after news. And, um, my co-host, we had finished talking about the news in Texas and it was low stakes. It it was like something light. Nobody had died. Nothing tragic had happened. And he said, Oh, aren't you from Texas? And I was like, well, I lived there kind of during high school, middle school and high school. So I I guess, you know, that's one of the many places I'm from. And, um, and he said, you know, what is it? It, Something like, is it as bad as I think? And I was like, well, you know, the cities are great. It's kind of the space between it, you know, also Mm. it's a big swath of land, whatever. It's a great place to be from, whatever. I see where we're going. Yeah. Suddenly <laughs> I get hotlined. All right. 
And the producer comes out of the booth and he's like gesturing me and I don't know what to do. And I get in there. My co-host is just kind of tap dancing on the air. He's still going. And I go in there and I'm like, yeah, what's what's going on? And and the, the boss at the time goes, here's the thing. You are not interesting. Nothing about you is interesting. If you ever say the word I on this fucking station again, you are out. You yep. are done. I know who and you're I talking was like, about too. Yep. Oh, okay. Okay. And then I, I had to go do three more hours of radio yep. and I was like a hot mess. So then later when when different management, you know, had me had me on. Yep. He was always going, you know, I want to hear more about you. And I was like, you don't yeah. understand. I'm uh, boring and uninteresting. Like, it really gave me a complex yeah. about about yeah. all of that. Well, so. I mean, I, you know, to answer your question, then I guess I have been uh, hotlined during the last uh, six months I was on because uh, the Jagoff who's in charge now <laughs> would um, would text Tom during shows. Oh, dear. Um, and say, stop this right now and stop that right now. And, and, the, and the person who hotlined you, I absolutely know who you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. And he never did that to me. He never, ever did that to me. Um, but yeah, but the Jagoff who's in charge now would text Tom like during a show and say, this has to stop right now. Or sometimes he would, he would send me an email and go, what do you think you're doing? <gasps> like while I'm on the air, while I'm on like a commercial wow. break, I look and I see this and this is the boss, the guy who's the idiot who's running the place right now would do that. Um, and again, these are people who have never had a fucking radio show in their life. You know what I always had a hard time with was like a thing that people may not know is that while you're on the air, there is a screen of text messages coming in in real time. And a producer will screen the calls to make sure the person is like not super drunk or, you know, anything like that on the air and has a yeah. relevant point to add to what's happening. But the text messages, there, there's no screening them. You get them. And I always found it very difficult. I would start to turn that that screen off because I I never had it so hard to like sit there and talk when there's there's people texting in all caps going like kill yourself and there was a guy who used to photoshop my face onto images of porn and Mm -hmm. text it and I'm like I cannot focus if that is like I can't be looking at that so I my my tell on the air was I would always start to say things like a uh, couple texts coming in from the 815 area code. Interesting. Don't forget, I can see your whole number. Right. Any, anytime yep. I say, like, I can see your whole number was code for, like, I I have it in my power to call you back. Yep. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Or put you, on a, put you on a mailing list or something. I, I never, ever, ever had the texts on. Ever. Because uh, they're I, rough. They're oh, rough. Because no, people are fucking morons. And, and so yeah. uh, I would always have, they, those were screened like the calls were. Um, yeah. and my, my, my producers would print up the texts that were readable yeah. and, yeah. and ignore all the rest of them. I would never keep the text uh, on, on, untethered ever, yeah, never. Cause there are too many fucking morons out there, you know, um, and I don't it need got that. Rough. It yeah. Got, yeah. I don't that's need That's what that, Tom started to do for yeah. me. He would just yeah. like print out the ones that were nice or something like relevant or relevant or, or that were, were critical, pushing, that but. Were, yeah. yeah, even if they were critical, but they were funny, like we would have yeah. them on. But totally. if they were pushing the, the subject forward, you know, like, the, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, but and then it got to the point where, like, a cor- you know, the idiot that runs it now, we were no longer allowed to read texts. Like, that was the oh, thing. That. Like, you can't do texts anymore. And I'm like, well, I'm on at three o'clock in the morning. Some people can't call in. And texts right. are a vital part of a fucking talk show. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get into that because I'll just get mad again. But yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. But yeah the, I, the text thing, I never would. I would never watch that because you can't do a, a, a show and get like, you know, a bunch of people who are more on. And again, what you said about, I can see your whole, your number is people, I guess idiots don't realize that. Like, you know, dude, I can call you right back right now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can report this number to somebody and you could be in trouble. 
you know, so. Oh, I could sign you up for every text message service ever <laughs> with this number. I never exactly. did that, but I always, yeah. I, I think I said on the air, like, don't forget, I could do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, before, because we ran out of time because we're just blabbing. Um, yeah. and, and, but I want to cover one of the things that you did on your cross-country drive. And you know what I wanted to do is, uh, what we can do is the next time you're on, we'll talk about this. But also, uh, some of the cross-country stuff that you did, because a cross-country trip is great. And I, uh, one of the topics that I'm going to talk about at Zany's is... Uh, uh, trips that have gone bad, like nightmare yeah. trip stories. Sure. And, and, uh, and I, so I want to mention some of that stuff when, you, when you're there. But uh, you visited, because you drove there and you're driving back, and that's a, long, that's a long haul. You visited, and I have to ask this, you visited some of the Twin Peaks locations, and I can't let you go without, without that. You, you went to some Twin Peaks locations. Oh, hell yeah. Because that yeah. show, man, that show was so good. And I should have known that I was like setting myself up for some kind of creative breakthrough when I got here because that show came on when I was starting to be okay with being a weirdo. Yeah. And starting to feel like, oh, actually, David Lynch is kind of, I kind of get this guy and this yeah. is my jam. And yeah. I, I don't need to try to fit in. I can actually do my own thing and it's fine and weird is good. And that was just like a perfect, it was a perfectly timed show for me. Yeah. So I really loved that show. So as I'm driving here, like, first of all, the Snoqualmie Pass to get over the the Cascade Mountains is no fucking joke. It is serious. And uh, and like all from like the, the Idaho-Montana border onto Snoqualmie Pass, there's a lot of pretty treacherous terrain there, but it's very beautiful. It's like you're in a snow globe for real. Yeah. Um, but the Snoqualmie Pass is pretty serious. And there's just like, it was just fog and huge mountains. And you're like, this looks like a film set. And then on the other side of that, I was like, there's no way I'm not stopping. So I found the Double R Diner and I had to go in and I had my damn good cup of coffee yeah. and there was Twin Peaks shit everywhere inside yeah. of there. And I was kind of psyched because I was like, I'm sitting here in my Doc Martens in this diner. And I think that 1990, 91 me would be pretty psyched to know that I'm still wearing Doc Martens yeah. and that I'm here and doing this <laughs> stuff and seeing it. And I'm sitting at a booth kind of near the door and these three kids come in. They're probably like late teens, early 20s. And, and the, the, um, the one boy and this one boy, he kind of looks at the cashier to get on the wait list. And he goes, uh, hey, hey, this is like the Twin Peaks place, right? I just started watching this show, but like this is from there, right? I, I, I'm just kind of into this old <laughs> show. And I was like, oh, it's still landing for people. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, the hallway on the, back to the, on the way back to the restrooms is just covered in like all this memorabilia oh, from the show, which so is so cool. cool. So I did oh. that. And then I found, I went and found the lodge and the waterfall from the opening credits, which right. was totally cool. Cool. Um, the Laura Palmer house is actually north of Seattle. It's uh, a little bit, a little bit north of the city. So I, I did drive by that and like, you know, it's just cool to like find all these places Hell yeah. and, Hell yeah. and know, Hey, this is exactly where David Lynch was <sighs> with his crew to film so all this cool. stuff. And it just felt so, cool. so rewarding to do that because, you know, 30 years ago I said, Oh, one day I want to go to there and I want to see that waterfall and I want to yeah. go to that diner and sit where Agent Cooper sat and said, this is damn good coffee. That's great. And I did those things and That's it was totally so cool. fun. That is so cool. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, as I've mentioned before, I mean, you know, uh, the reboot from 2015. Yeah. Uh, episode eight is the greatest thing that's ever been on television. Episode eight of Twin Peaks, the return is the greatest thing that's ever been on television. And that's it's up the, there. Yeah. It's, it's just like, Hey, you got a light. That whole thing is, it's completely fucking batshit crazy. Totally. And, and I, I remember watching it thinking to myself, you know, there are people who have showtime right now. Like it's, it's a, I'm, I'm picturing somebody like in Vernon Hills. They're like, honey, let's put on Showtime, see what's on. 
and they turn it on and that episode is on 15 minutes later they're like let's cancel showtime honey you know what i mean like <laughs> and that just makes me happy yeah but that's yeah. so cool that you went to those places and by the way for people who want you blogged about this right so people at amyguth.com they can go to your blog and yeah. you did you did a daily blog about that that road trip correct yeah because i drove from I went uh, Wisconsin to Minnesota, then all through South Dakota, stayed in a totally weird old haunted hotel that I found. Oh. I like found all these blog posts about. Um, I saw the Devil's Tower from Close Encounters, yeah. that cool, yeah, which yeah. was totally cool because like I got out of the car and it was a cold day. It's off season. I it was it was dead silent except for an icicle dripping into a puddle and an owl. It was. So, so cool. amazing. That's the so Badlands cool. were gorgeous and super yeah. quiet and beautiful. Well, um, let's talk more in detail. Let's thing. let's talk yeah. more in detail at Zanies because it's only yeah. it's only about a week away or a couple of weeks right. away. So um, so at Zanies, let's talk more about about your cross country travels. And if people want to read it, the blog is there at amygooth.com. And we'll talk more about uh, the stuff you're working on the next time you're on with us in uh, in March because I want to make it awesome. a monthly thing. Obviously, Amy. yeah, awesome. And then by then I will have driven back, so yeah, I'll have like another cross country trek. You'll have a whole trek. another story. Well, safe travels to you. Thank you. Um, and uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm so glad that you said, yeah, I think I'll be like a semi-regular on your podcast. I appreciate Thank that because you. you're, you're the best. Thank uh, you. And, you're the best. I will see you in person at Zany's in Rosemont on Tuesday, February 21st, and we'll continue the cross-country uh, road trip. Can't wait. Okay. Thanks, Amy. There you go. That's uh, Amy Guth, and uh, you can check her out at amyguth.com, where the blog is there and all the latest things that she's doing. Uh, and now uh, let's talk with another lovely uh, woman that I talk to regularly, and that's Esmeralda Leon. Esmeralda. Yeah. Esmeralda Leon. Yeah. Esma. I'm talking about that Esma. Esmeralda Leon. And that theme obviously means that it's time to talk to Esmeralda Leon, who joins me on every single podcast uh, and uh, always the highlight of each podcast as far as I'm concerned. Hi, Esmeralda. Oh, come on now. (laughs) How are you? That's... Very nice. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm uh, I'm good. Good. Heading into uh, a weekend, uh, and mm-hmm. you're getting closer and closer. You're getting closer and closer to your trip. It's a couple of weeks away. Yeah. Well, a week a week a week and a week and a few days away. Yes. Very. It's very exciting. I cannot wait. You're actually leaving on the day we have our next Zanies. So you're leaving on the 21st. So a week from Tuesday. Yeah, I'll be gone. Um, I leave midnight. Oh, so Monday, right the... Monday night, Tuesday morning. Monday night, Tuesday morning. Uh, yes. Midnight. So At midnight. <laughs> Heading and and how long are you going to be in uh, lovely Mexico? Uh, just till Saturday. That's still a great. That's a great. Uh, it's great. It's weird though now that you know. Wouldn't it be more? I mean, it's going to be great. And you're going to have a great time, and you love Mexico, and you should, and all that great stuff. But wouldn't it be even cooler, like if we were going to have terrible weather, but we're not here? Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the <laughs> the whole impetus of this trip is to go enjoy nice weather. Right. Just right. before, like, because it's going to be bad here or it's, well, it's not going to be warm. 
So it won't be that. warm. There is. It that. won't be warm. But, it's not going to be warm like it's warm over there. No, no, but no. That's trust kind me. of why we do the trip. I understand. It, 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 but wouldn't it be? You get it be... a little bit of warm, but then it's you're. We're already like starting to get warmer. So like when we come back, it's like oh, I miss the warm. But then we don't have to wait too long till it's warm here. Exactly. Exactly. But wouldn't it be more gratifying to rub our faces in it that you're going to be in Mexico where it's going to be like sunny and like 75, 80 degrees? Um, and wouldn't it be better if it were going to be if we were going to have fifty inches of snow? It was going to be sixteen below. <laughs> I mean, yes and no, because then I may not be able to come back and or leave. <laughs> That's true. They got to de-ice the wings. The wings have to be right. de-iced and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, also, it's a little difficult um, to maneuver getting getting there and then coming back when you have a giant coat. Or you have to wear boots. True. You know, I usually yeah. try to wear like a light jacket and yep. then just suffer through yep. the cold. Yep. Yep. I understand. I totally understand. Well, I hope you have a great time. We're going to miss you at Zany's. Um, yeah, but you but have Amy the wonderful Ms. Amy Guth. Who I just spoke with and who was fantastic and had a great time with her on the on the show. Um, but yeah, Amy's going to sit in for you. I mean, she's never going to be able to replace you, obviously, because you rule the planet. But Amy oh, is Amy's going to fill in, and it's going to be great. And John DeCoste is going to be there, our old buddy John DeCoste from the Steve Cochran Show. And he's got 40 years' worth of comedy stories. You know, a, a very oh, much— Oh, man. So, yeah, much, you're set. In that, same, <laughs> in that same vein as Dwayne Kennedy, who was our last guest, who was unbelievable, by the way, mm-hmm. as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much so. They have so many incredible stories about working in TV and working in movies and writing and— you know, doing stand-up across the world. Uh, John's going to be a fascinating guest. My dad's going to come up and tell a joke, and we've got stuff to give away, including Nick D Podcast t-shirts and mugs. And uh, my buddy George Karzis was like, hey, the last one, uh, you didn't give away any Gale Street Inn stuff, so uh, I'm, let's remedy that. So we have Gale Street right. Inn. Uh, <laughs> we have Gale Street Inn uh, gift certificates to give away as well. So, Oh, that's awesome. So we're going to pack the place and have a great time, and we will do, we will do a tribute to you, Esmeralda, while you're gone. Oh, we will dedicate the entire. Sounds like I'm dead. <laughs> it's. A... <laughs> we will dedicate the entire evening's festivities to Esmeralda. Oh great! Uh, and you'll I be will like, dedicate my time in Mexico. Right. You'll dedicate to you'll... all of you. You'll dedicate one <laughs> of your uses of sunscreen. Uh, for <laughs> yes. There <laughs> so, you go. Perfect. So get get your tickets Tuesday, February twenty first. Amy Guth, John DeCost, me, my dad telling jokes, you being a part of uh, the podcast, all kinds of really cool prizes to give away. Rosemont.zanies.com, Nick D Podcast Live, February twenty first, or eight four seven eight one three zero four eight four pack to place. And then in March when we come back, uh Esmeralda will be back uh, uh on stage with us as when we mm-hmm. do it when we do it in March. So cool. Yes. And I hope you have a great time in Mexico. It sounds like it's gonna be fun. Well, thank you. How often do you get down there? You you get down there at least once a year, don't you? Um, we with my friend we try to go once a year. Yeah, that's cool. Is it always the same place? Do you always go to the same place? Uh, it has been. Yeah. Um, we went the first time last year, but he had been there more times. Um, he had been there other times. Yeah. Uh, so he's been there maybe the past three years sans covid like before that he had gone a couple times yeah uh and then i went for the first time last year and then now we're going again but before that we went to some other places as well but um he really loves this place and it was great it was super great it was really like chill and um 
didn't really have to think about much, so it worked out. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what the whole thing's about. That's what the whole thing is about. Cool. When you when you when you go down there, do you ever like go back and, and see relatives and stuff when you go down, or, or is it too? Is, is uh, well, no, it's it's too far. Too far. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh, you know, and again, me being an ignorant whitey, I'm like, yeah, hey, you could, don't you just you guys all live in one place? <laughs> no, <laughs> they are states. Oh are right. States. Oh, that's right. I'm t- <laughs> I'm just being dumb white guy. Hey, what? When you're down there, don't you see every relative? When you're, when you're down there, isn't that what you do? It's the equivalent of me being like, I'm going to Florida, and they're here. Yeah, so. gotcha, gotcha. All right, uh, yeah. And then you just say, Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Now you'll be saying that a yeah, lot, right? Man. Yeah, yeah. While you're down there, oh, of course. Fun. Yeah, that's that's just all you're yelling doing. it into the into the sky. You know what else? I, you know what I've been yelling lately because of the last uh, episode of the that show hasn't been funny in years podcast. This mm-hmm. that, that's my new <laughs> that's my new favorite drop because I don't know if you know this, but Tom uh, Hush, our mutual friend, my old producer mm-hmm. who is now the executive producer of the Steve Cochran Morning Show on WLS, he was my guest on this week's new episode of. That show hasn't been funny in years, my SNL podcast. And we talked very nice exclusively about the uh, SNL Lonely uh, Island digital shorts. Um, exclusively. We talked about all of the digital shorts and and what that meant to him. Because he's he's ten mm-hmm. years he's ten years younger than you. Um yeah. Yeah, he's ten years, he's ten years younger okay. than you. And uh, so that makes him like, you know, like, I don't know, I don't know, how, but, but 30, 29. 29 years younger. Yeah, he's 29. <laughs> Whatever. I'm old enough to be his father. And so we basically talked about <laughs> what it was like for him as like a young teenager to discover SNL through stuff like Chronicles of Narnia, you know, the lucky uh, mm-hmm. the Lazy Sunday. Yeah. And I mean, you realize you, you, you back then you were watching, you know, that that shit was huge, right? Was was Lonely oh, Island yeah. stuff? I mean, was that, I was, that was big for you. Yeah. If it's ten years ago, it would no. It would have been right? twenty. It would almost twenty years or 20 ago. Twenty years. Yeah, because they started. In, they started. They started in two thousand five. The, the Lonely Island guys got there. Andy Samberg and and, and Jorma and, and Akiva got there in two thousand five. So those two thousand five. Yeah. Okay, so two thousand five. I was just graduating college. Right. I was a senior in college, just graduating. So yeah. And we talk um, that about stuff was huge. And we talk about the birth, basically, of the of how those guys hitting SNL coincided with basically the birth of YouTube. Um, yeah, and how they basically those shorts completely changed the 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 way that people watch SNL because now people don't watch it. You know, like a, a majority of people don't watch it live; they'll watch it the next day on NBC.com or on YouTube. And that basically started because of Lazy Sunday. Yeah. Like or you were- you honestly, a lot of people, I mean, myself included, don't really watch most of the episodes in in the order that they showed it. Yeah. We'll watch yeah. it. You watch it in clips because, yep. again, yeah, YouTube has all the, for the most part, they have all the skits. Uh, on there so then yeah you oh, just you we kind were... of find you kind of get to the one that's like the most popular or whatever the one yep. that everyone keeps watching yeah so then yeah you focus and... in on that and and at that time it was 
most likely Chronicles of Narnia had yeah, those, all like the digital blown short. up. Well, I mean, and this guy, which is my, which is my favorite. <laughs> I, th- I threw it on the ground is my favorite digital short yeah. of all time. That's my favorite <laughs> of all time. But, you know, but we were talking about it. And it's interesting to get your perspective because you're kind of you're, you're a little bit older than you're older than Tom, but you're younger than me. And to mm-hmm. get your perspective, because he was like going into high school when all that stuff started and you were getting out of college. And, yes. You know, and I was, well, I was an adult. I, <laughs> yeah, and, an adult. <laughs> throwing shit on the ground. That's right. Throwing <laughs> it on the ground. That, my dad's not a cell phone. Duh. Um, but, <laughs> but, but we talked about like how seriously, like at first Lauren Michaels was like, I don't think this is, I don't understand why people are going to watch this shit on the YouTube. I don't know what it is. And it took a long time for NBC to, to okay it. And then mm-hmm. once it did, it cha- it revolutionized the way people watch the show. That's all there is to it. And 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 Andy Sandberg and those guys are going to go down in history as some of the most important revolutionary contributors to that show. And it's because yeah. of those shorts. And those shorts. And also are now they funny, have. Man. And also now they have uh, at the in the new the new series or the the new iteration of SNL. Yeah. They have um, please yeah. don't destroy. Yeah, which I can't stand. Which is another comedy group. Yeah, those they're yeah, but they're not. So they kind of opened that door. They did, and and Lonely the, Island for yep. there to be comedy groups on right. SNL, like for people, because you and, know you'd think that maybe one or two would get in. No, they all got in. <laughs> and the thing is, and the thing is, like the, those guys are clearly patterned after Lonely Island because there's three of them and they're dorky, right? And they 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 do the videos, you know, a, a week. The only the problem is they're I don't think they're funny. <laughs> I, I think I think the Lonely Island guys are fucking hilarious, and yeah, and and I think because the Lonely Island guys also wrote really good songs. You know what I mean? Like those songs are good. Like they're legitimately good raps. They're legitimately good beats. Like they're good. <laughs> like Dick in the Box is a hilarious song, but it's good. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyways, it was fun to hear Tom's perspective because like it was huge for him as a kid. Like. Because he didn't know what he didn't know those guys he didn't know that Chris Parnell and Andy and Andy Sandberg when they were rapping about Narnia, mm-hmm. he didn't know it was SNL. He just found the clip and he and his friends were like, "Oh, it's right. great!" And then they went, "Wait a minute, this is SNL?" <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, now I have this clip that I'm, I'm which I'm <laughs> there you currently go. currently my favorite sound drop, as you can tell. Uh oh. Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, and Hi, I Carrie. love Nick's show. How you doing, Carrie? Hi, I'm Carrie Russell, I and I love Nick's show. All right, don't argue. Don't argue. And it's also getting closer yeah. to uh, cocaine, you getting bear. to see yeah, Cocaine Bear. I'm seeing Cocaine Bear. <laughs> By the way, you'll be in Mexico, Esmeralda, because I'm mm-hmm. seeing, I was very concerned. I don't know if I told you this or not, but I was very concerned because I thought, because Cocaine Bear opens uh, you know, to the public on mm-hmm. uh, the 24th, on Friday the 24th. And I thought for sure that they would be screening it on Tuesday because that's how they usually do it. Like if there's a movie that they're not very excited about, they'll show it to us on Tuesday night, okay. the week it opens. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to miss it because Zanies, you know, because of our gig. But they're showing it. And I don't know if this was just, you know, if this was just sort of like, you know, uh, it, was, it, it was in the ether, but they're showing it Wednesday night. So I get to do my Zany show and not miss Cocaine Bear. 
They're nice. screening. They're screening it on Wednesday night, and I can't wait. It's all worked out. And I love Nick's show. I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna see your your. I'm gonna see your movie on uh, on, uh, on 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 Wednesday the 22nd. Cocaine Bear. Also, Ray Liotta's last movie. I know that's just so weird. Yeah, I noticed. Yeah, he was in the trailer. And I'm like, wait a minute, was yeah. this the last movie? Did oh god. Yeah, it's his last movie. His last movie is his last movie is Cocaine Bear. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about that. I think it's great, but I just think, also think it's weird. So anyway, I mean, you'd think it would have been some Oscar nominated yeah. whatever. No, no it's, it's Cocaine it's, Bear. It's, it's Cocaine Bear, <laughs> and I'm sure. I'm sure right now he's saying. Get the fuck out of my house. Anyway, all right. Uh, All right. We got some Kit Kats to taste test. uh, Mm -hmm. Now, we have little monster Kit Kats, which I guess are where they, well, do they celebrate Halloween in Asia? Um, I don't think it's like here, but I'm sure it's probably catching on a little more. Because these are monster, like my, I have a werewolf. I have a wolfman. On my Kit Kat. And you have a Dracula, right? Yes. And I have like a Scream dude. I have the, the ghost face dude from Scream on one. And you have Freddy, right? On one of yours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. So these are tying. Obviously, this is a universal thing. No pun intended. Universal mon- horror monster. See what I did there? Universal monsters. Anyway. Good job. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I have the Wolfman. And I'm not really sure what the flavor is on this. Yeah, I'm going to assume they're all just regular Kit Kats, but um, because the big thing here is the monsters, but then the monsters are doing sign language. Yeah, talking hands. They're doing sign language. Yeah, which I think is cute. Like, they're doing whatever it is, the sign language, which I think is um, cute. But I'm going to assume that they're just blank. Okay, right, like, right. And then I Kit like Kats. on the back, on that, on that, uh, on the back there... Uh, mm-hmm. At least mine has like a graveyard with a cross and bats. Yeah. <laughs> so they're going. And again, that's out. where you're supposed to draw something. All right, all right. Which, you... by the way, um, one person answered and they said I was right. So. They said that you were right. <laughs> yes. And then I have. We it have is a, for drawing. We have a hazelnut uh, yes. flavored Kit Kat. So, and that yes. sounds that sounds delicious to me. Hazelnut sounds delicious to me. I enjoy. Yeah, especially good... it's real. It's it's a picture of two hazelnuts, like real ones. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you just they draw a little picture or whatever. But no, the, this is like two real hazelnuts, so it's it better have yeah. a good hazelnut quality to it. It makes it very adult in my mind. <laughs> right. It's a mature Kit Kat as opposed to the Wolfman. Like hazelnut. As opposed to I mean to we the... had those we had those Kit Kats that were adult sweetness. Right. Which were a whole series for adults. Adults, yeah. All right. So these are um, well, you know what they are. <laughs> Because <laughs> we are. That's right, man. <laughs> anyway, all right. Uh, I have a, a magic megaphone message. Very and, nice. And again, I, I leave it to you out there, everybody who's listening. If you want me, the monkey, to say something into the magic megaphone and it goes out into the ether, let me know. Whatever you want me to say, inside joke, message to someone, private joke, all kinds of fun stuff, lines from movies, whatever. Send me an email. Say, hey, Nick, I want you to say this into the magic megaphone, and it will be magical. NickDPodcast at gmail.com, or you can voicemail at 773-417-6948. Okay, again, I will play this, and then I will explain it. This is from a, uh, a listener slash subscriber in Ohio named Candace. Okay. Okay, are you ready? Mm-hmm. 
I just don't like Brussels sprouts. I just don't like Brussels sprouts. I just don't <laughs> right. like Brussels sprouts. Right. I just don't like Brussels sprouts. So, I just all right. Okay. So I think you get the, <laughs> I think that's pretty self-explanatory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Candace uh, said that despite the fact that everyone seems to like Brussels sprouts now, she mm-hmm. can't, she can't do it. Like, even though, like, it's hip to like Brussels sprouts now and, like, everybody says that it depends on how you uh, cook them or, you know, how you yeah, prepare them. it is. Totally. Um, uh, but she just doesn't like them. Doesn't matter in, in any way, shape, or form if they're, if, if they're prepared differently or anything. She just wanted me to tell everybody. <laughs> I just don't like Brussels sprouts. I just don't like Brussels sprouts. So Candace... Uh, Candace in Ohio does not like Brussels sprouts. Got it. Okay. I will make a note. Make a next note. Next time she comes for dinner. Next time she comes over, <laughs> no Brussels sprouts. Now I love exactly. Brussels. Spr- I love Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I I really like br- Brussels sprouts. I do too. Um, I do especially too. roasted and then you yeah. get all crispy. Woo! I, I agree. So good. I totally agree. I completely agree. But Candace does not. I just mm. don't like Brussels sprouts. So there you go. Well, more for us. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, hey, it, it, it's as simple as that. If you just want to let us know you don't like Brussels sprouts, what the hell? That's a magic yeah. megaphone message. Yep. Nick D, Nick D We'll take any of them. So anyway. Um, now, you know what? This ties in. Wow, we're segueing here. <laughs> professionals. It's, a, it's professionals. You know, it's those... Those awards that I have sitting on the end, gathering dust on the end of my coffee table <laughs> right now, <laughs> you know, for, for all that, uh, you know, all that amazing work I did on the radio, it's just sitting on my coffee table now. Uh, segwaying was something that, uh, that we were always very proud of when we did that. And, you know, now when you were a kid, did you like Brussels sprouts? That's probably. Um, I never ate them. We never had them in the house. Oh, okay. So yeah. I didn't know. Now, no did, you, <laughs> did you have, when you were a kid, did you have food that you disliked that you now like? Um, I didn't like, growing up, I didn't really like cilantro or onions. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what the onions thing was, because well, then, both, like, I both... eat onions all the time now. Yeah. <laughs> and cilantro. Both, well, I was going to yeah, I mean, they're both very strong flavors. You know what I yeah. mean? Uh, and so I know a lot of people who don't like cilantro, and I am... I am cilantro in small doses. Like I can't OD on I you know like I can't OD on cilantro. Like if I'm if I'm eating something and a like a, a large handful of cilantro is in the middle of it and I eat it and I'm like mm-hmm. it's a little much. I like cilantro yeah. but but not like handfuls of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cuz it's a strong herb. Cilantro is very yeah. strong. Yeah, yeah, very much so. So, but I can understand why a young palate would not like onions and cilantro. That makes sense, you know? But that brings us to the topic here that we have, which is oh. uh, pop culture icons that were hated but now loved. Oh, okay. And like in your case, Esmeralda, your pop culture. Cilantro. Cilantro and onions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that was a band I was in. Oh, God damn it, Cilantro Nick. and onions. Yeah, cilantro yeah. and onions. Uh, I, was, I was onions. Nice. And, uh, my buddy, I don't know, my buddy Johnny was, was cilantro. I don't what happened? We broke up. We couldn't, uh, we just didn't get along. But although onions oh. and cilantro should get along. Right? <laughs> it should get along very well. It's they a com- wonderful combination. They, they, yeah, they complement each other very well. It just did not work out with me and Johnny. 
It was a. Uh, Got it. it. Was, yeah. Got so. it. <laughs> he was very, he was very, very immature, and that was. <laughs> Boy, we're getting tired. I'm getting tired. We're getting tired of that one already. I've only dropped it 15 <laughs> times. Already. Anyway, so uh, in looking at this article about uh, pop culture things that people hated at first but then loved, anything pop out uh, for you? And there are there are actually more than a few on here that I gotta say I was on board from the beginning. Oh well, so, that's not surprising. so anything pop out for you uh so for me i didn't know that the charlie brown christmas was not liked well it wasn't liked by cbs execs Uh, (laughs) yeah but i could see i could see why they they didn't think it would be good i mean that's for kids and it seems even even now it seems a bit it does seem a bit adult (laughs) Yeah, it seems yeah. a bit depressive. The music is, yeah. you know, jazz, and yeah. it, it doesn't seem like something the kids would be into at all. It, no, no, and I know people who, who who still don't like it. I know people who still don't like it. I, there's a faction of people who are like, it's too slow, it's too depressing. Why mm-hmm. the hell would anybody watch these kids? I am a huge fan of all the Peanuts stuff, a huge, huge fan. And, I mean, I grew up with it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I mean, and what I, I'm, I, I don't know. Does it have the year that it debuted here in the article? In... Exactly, no. no, it doesn't. I think it debuted like right around when I was four or five or maybe. Is younger. Charlie Brown Christmas? Is that the first Ch- one? That yeah, ever... Charlie. The first special ever. Yeah, I think that was before the Halloween. I, the, the first the Christmas one was first. And then the, 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 the Great Pumpkin was after that. Um, okay. So, yeah, Charlie Brown Christmas was 65. Okay, that was the year I was born. Uh, so, so for me, like right from the beginning, I was a little teeny kid watching it, and I loved it. And I've got, yeah. I had weird sensibilities anyway. You know what I mean? But uh, a lot of people found it depressing, and, and, and it really didn't do well when it first came on. You know, the, the, like you said, the CBS execs didn't like it. Now, when you were a kid and you saw the Charlie Brown Christmas, did you like it or no? Um, I remember not really having an opinion of it. Mm-hmm. It was just there. I didn't really, I wasn't really in the into the peanuts or anything like that. Yeah. So it was just sort of like, oh, it's, there's that show again. Yeah, yeah. There's that music, <laughs> that very depressing, uh, Christmas time is here. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, yeah, it's a bit sad. And it does it, it, feel. It doesn't feel timeless. Like it does feel of that of does. that time, the time it that it came out. It does. And and I and I just uh I don't know. I but I love I love the peanuts. I love the characters. Um mm-hmm. you know, I love the way they dance when they break out of the dance and they all dance in that specific way. Each character has a different dance that they do. Oh yeah. Um, I could see um I could see people being kids and not being into it. And then, you know, as you grow up you start to see um like what all these little bits you start to actually enjoy all the little bits so i could see yeah. growing into growing into it all but the fr- peanuts but, yeah. but yeah but at first people hated it and there are still a faction of people that don't like it. I, I i will tell you this though every year when i lived in andersonville and hung out at simon's mm-hmm. um you know i don't know every fucking night um <laughs> during the holiday season you'd go there and you'd drink a bunch of glug and it had a very nice atmosphere and it was warm and lovely and you can't i can't tell you the number of times when the the Charlie Brown Christmas album was played all night long. 
You know what I mean? Because that's it's. I mean, great. that sounds yeah. cozy. <laughs> it is very cozy, but it's also like it's very adult. You're in a bar and everybody is playing. You know uh, that. You know you're getting drunk on Glug and you're listening to the Charlie Brown uh, mm-hmm. Christmas album. So I don't know, but that's different than being a little kid going. You know, because all that all that stuff, that other stuff, that stop motion stuff, the Santa Claus is coming to town and the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, completely different in tone. And oh style. yeah, completely. very child friendly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, all right. Um, how about this? Uh, Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says here, too long, too difficult, slows momentum. Nobody wants Judy Garland singing in a barnyard. So basically, <laughs> they, they over, somewhere over the rainbow, which eventually won an Academy Award, they were really down on that. And it became, you know, obviously it became a classic song, Judy Garland's signature song, and considered one of the greatest songs in the history of movies. And... Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody hated it when they first heard it. See, and this goes to show you, like, those execs, they know nothing. Uh, yeah, fucking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, suits are genius. Well, look, look at the idiots over at WGN. Look at the moron who runs that station. Yeah. Okay. And then, um, then that's, like, that's who's making decisions. Exactly. All those higher-up exactly. people yeah. who know nothing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I will say this. Um, I've never been a fan of Wizard of Oz, and I know that's a very unpopular thing to say. I hate the Wizard of Oz. I hate it. And I've I don't hate it. it. I um, don't. It's just there. I don't. So you don't have any kind of a, like a big emotional attachment to it? Cause, you no, know, I mean, not at all. It, it was when I was growing up on CBS, it was a yearly thing. Like it was everybody was excited because every mm-hmm. year CBS would show, you know, Wizard of Oz. That was obviously long before VHS and, and all that shit. Um, and it was a big deal. And I never liked it. I still I still can't stand it. I just don't like it. And. Uh, but I like. But here's the weird thing. I like Return to Oz. <laughs> okay. With Feruza Balk. I love that. And that opens with Dorothy getting shock treatment in an insane asylum. So that. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I like Oz and Great and, Great and Powerful, the Sam Raimi one with James Franco. I like mm-hmm. it. But I don't like The Wizard of Oz. I don't know. But it was never a thing for you. It was just there. Yeah, it was just there. Yeah. I could see how people wouldn't like it. Because yeah. that beginning just seems really boring. And then, yeah, when she does get to Oz, it's like, oh, this is great. Why didn't they just start here? <laughs> yeah. I will say this, though, that the, I, I, the, there, is one, there, is, there is one really effective thing in that movie for me. And it's those fucking flying monkeys. The flying monkeys scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. I hated the movie. I mean, they were frightening looking. Yeah. They're still like, awesome. They made, them, they made them look creepy. They're my favorite thing in the movie. They're the only thing in The Wizard of Oz that doesn't, you know, that doesn't bore the shit out of me are the flying monkeys. Yeah. Um, yeah, they yeah. did a good job at making them real creepy. <laughs> yeah, I'll just I'll take Return to Oz any day. Honest to God. <laughs> have you ever seen Return to Oz, Oswald? I haven't, no. Oh, man. It's... <laughs> you know what you should ask about Return to Oz? Ask Colin about Return to Oz. I, okay. I, I'm almost positive he's seen it. That knowing him, I'm almost positive he's seen it, and I'm almost positive he likes it. <laughs> so, so just... <laughs> ask him about it sometime but and it's a very fucked up movie very dark very, like i said it opens with with uh dorothy getting shock treatment in an insane asylum that's how the movie opens yeah. and it's little yeah. Feru- it's little feruza balk who would go on to be in the craft you know what i mean so all of that yeah stuff, yeah all that stuff kind of ties it <laughs> very, very weirdly i love that movie i love it and it got destroyed when it came out it came out in the 80s mid 80s like 85 86 mm-hmm and it got demolished by the critics. I was the only... I had just started reviewing movies on Roy's show at that time. 
or I'd been doing it maybe a year. And, and I caught flack from, well, people didn't like me anyway when I first started at GM, when I was just the smart ass kid reviewing movies. They were like, who is this mm-hmm. punk? Who is this punk that Roy has on? <laughs> and, and then I get on and I recommend a movie like Return to Oz, which Roy didn't like and everybody hated. So, but yeah. But give it, you should give it a shot, Esmeralda. It's a very fucked up movie, very dark, very twisted movie, and I love it. Okay. All right, what else pops out here? Things that were hated but now loved. Uh, I think it's weird that Twister was. Well, read this, read uh, this, read this because it's hilarious. The reason why it it, it took off. This is hilarious. yeah. So Twister was seen as too sexual when it was first created. I mean, I could see that. Yeah, uh, you're kind of just on top of people, right? Uh, with Sears saying it wasn't appropriate for their catalog, and one competitor calling it "sex in a box." I mean. <laughs> I, if you make it into that, then yes, I could see that being not good. Um, but as a latch, last-ditch effort, the PR company in charge of publicizing it had Johnny Carson and Ava Gabor play it on The Tonight Show, and then it became very popular because of that, and it became the classic that yep. it is today. Well, you know what? You, you, put, you, you let Johnny Carson do something with it, it'll suddenly be awesome. <laughs> that's, right that's it man <laughs> i mean i could see i can see where people were like oh that's very sexual i mean well, yeah you're kind of just like on top oh, of people oh yeah well there was all kinds of there was all, i mean it, you know in the 60s it was all about like uh, a, a lot of adult parties really started in the 60s where they would mm-hmm. play they would play games and shit and the and mm-hmm. the thing was naked twister was a thing that was yeah, actually, because like, why wouldn't it be? Right, because <laughs> you're twisted. Oh, there's my oh my dong is in her face. Isn't that hilarious? Like, might you know as I mean? well. Might as well do something with it. I mean, why is it just gonna? It's not gonna hang there. I should probably put that in my mouth. You know, like it's that kind of thing. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no. So they used to do naked twists, but there were also like game parties that adults would have. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember, like, you know, my parents would go to some of these parties, and they that would be down in the basement, and if if some of the some of the couples had kids the kids had to go like upstairs to a different apartment or to a attic and watch tv mm-hmm. while the parents were downstairs boozing it up playing adult games now i'm not <laughs> saying my parents i'm not saying my parents participated in key parties and shit you know what i mean like i'm right. not saying, i'm not saying it was like the ice storm although it was around the same time <laughs> although it was around the same time period uh, but i am saying that they did play twister and they did do adult games you know what else was really big, Esmeralda? You ever watch old episodes of uh, Beat the Clock? Um, I have not, no. So do you know what Beat the Clock is? No. Okay, not. game show that started in the 60s. Uh, and it was, you can look it up. You can Google Beat the Clock. It was a game show that started in the 60s. Uh, Bud Cullier, I believe, was the first host, another host. And, and, it, and it came on a bunch of, like a lot of popular game shows that had uh, different times where it would come back, you know, like 60s mm-hmm. and 70s would come back. But Beat the Clock was basically couples would come on and do wacky stunts where they'd have to, like, hit a balloon into a, a laundry basket with needles in it to pop the balloon. And if they popped as many balloons in 40 seconds, they would win a prize. You know okay. what I mean? They would have to, okay. like, put, yeah, yeah. put, like, apples under their chins and, and pass it to the next person with their chin. You know what I mean? The apple under the chin thing. Right. And you've got 45 seconds. And so... These games on this game show were designed so that people would adults would watch it at home and, and have parties and then do beat the clock beat the clock stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was that, that was that was like Twister. People would get loaded. They play beat the clock and then they'd all fuck. That. <laughs> <laughs> so, but no, beat the clock. Um, 
it, it's amazing to me that that because I I've watched some of it. The 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 '70s version is particularly bad. Like if you watch the '70s yeah. version of it, it's particularly bad. Um, but but that became a very huge thing at adult parties. Like let's get some booze and play beat the clock, and everybody would get into you know, it was weird. But yeah, uh, a Twister was an adult party game for a long time. So, well, yeah, because again, people's crotches in your face, right? You know, yeah, 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 not yeah, very yeah. kid friendly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh no, I can't, I'm not allowed to move my left hand, even though it's on your boob right now. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> um, now I will say this: one of them that's on here that I want to get to is because it's I was I again. This is one that I loved from the beginning. Hmm. Um, and the, the, and it's, that's John Carpenter's The Thing. And I've talked about this before. Uh, John Carpenter's 1982 film today, widely considered to be one of the greatest science fiction horror films of all time. It's atmosphere, it's, uh, it's filled with a sense of isolation and paranoia, is intense. The groundbreaking special effects by Stan Winston and Rob, well, it's, uh, Stan Winston, uh, didn't really do the, uh, this thing got it wrong. Uh, Rob Bottin, <laughs> they look great by today's standards. Uh, and when it was first released, just two weeks after a certain Steven Spielberg movie that featured uh, a friendly alien, critics and audiences were quick to pan it. Roger Ebert, probably the nicest thing to say about it, said, The Thing is basically a geek show, a gross-out movie in which teenagers can dare one another to watch the screen. And that's one of the kinder things that were said. <laughs> the movie bombed. That's, wow. It bombed. It came out the same year as E.T. and An Officer and a Gentleman, and everybody was like, happy, happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and now it is considered one of its 40, yes, last year was the 40th anniversary of the thing. And there were like celebrations across the world. It got re-released. Oh yeah. And people now everybody, people love, and it's, it's fucking great. But where the hell were these people in 1982? <laughs> when so, did it come out in 1982? July of 1982. I saw it on, uh, uh I want to say July. I saw it like on my birthday or the day after my birthday in July of 1982. Well, see, that's the thing, like, how, I always wonder, like, how receptive are people to scary movies when it isn't Halloween or around that time? Yeah. And, and I, I yeah, it's an interesting, that's an interesting point. I mean, obviously releasing it in October might have been a smarter thing, but I mean, you know, like the, the problem was that uh, dark movies did not do well that summer because that was the fucking summer of E.T. and his dumb ass mm-hmm. flying around on <laughs> fucking, uh, you know, bicycles. Now be here and shut the fuck up. And and everybody was like, everybody went to go see E.T. 100 million times and families, oh, we love it. It was the happiest alien in the world. And here's this John Carpenter movie <laughs> that's in the same, pl- you know, plexus as, you know, E.T., like you go to one yep. theater and see the happiest alien movie of all time, and the other, which had the most the sad, you know, like the 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 creepiest and most suffocating uh, alien movie ever, and they're playing in the same theater complex. <laughs> and like I said, Officer and Gentleman came out that year, and it was like, like everybody was very happy. And another really big movie that summer was Young Doctors in Love, which was like a wacky comedy. And meanwhile, stuff like Blade Runner came out that fucking bombed. That came out the same summer, and that bombed. And Blade Runner. A depressing movie. <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, it's summer. You want to be like happy, have fun, laugh. Uh, it was you weird to be sad and depressed about the future. And it was the first. Uh, it was the first Harrison Ford bomb because he had done Star Wars, he had done Empire, he had done Raiders, and then Blade Runner was like the big summer release because all of those movies came out in the summer. 
And everybody's like, oh, Harrison mm-hmm. Ford, Harrison Ford's summer movie. Last year, you know, Indiana Jones broke all kinds of box office. Blade Runner bombed. <laughs> Completely bombed. I mean, yeah, I could see that. They're yeah. all very depressing looking movies. Like, yeah, uh, yeah even just like even if Halloween, like when did Halloween come out? Was that a summer? Was a that- Halloween? No, Halloween came out Fall. in November. It was. It actually came out okay. in October. It got a. Sm- it was an independent release. Mm-hmm. Um. So I mean, it got released in October in certain cities. It didn't get to Chicago until the beginning of November. What about um Friday the Thirteenth? May, May of nineteen eighty. Okay. Yeah. See, but that one, it's summertime in the movies. <laughs> well, they're at a summer camp. Yeah, they're at a summer camp. Yeah. So it's yeah. not so. It's. Yeah. Like the 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 movie itself, like the, how it looks, isn't mm-hmm. like sad and depressing, <laughs> right? Well, and also it helped at that time, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was at a time when anything that resembled the movie Halloween was being released at any time of the year. Like there were so many ripoffs at that point that they didn't give a shit when they released them because anything that had a killer with a knife that was named after a holiday was making money. <laughs> was mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you want to make a, let's make a slasher movie, name it after some fucking holiday and it'll make a million uh, in the first weekend. It'll make a million. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, but yeah, no, the summer of 82 was the happy summer where two of my favorite movies of all time were released that nobody saw. That's Blade Runner and the thing. <laughs> so. But now people love it. They do. Yeah. I mean, Blade Runner had a sequel that nobody saw. The 2049, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah, uh, Colin saw it. Colin cried. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, saw, yeah, Colin, Colin and I talked it. about it. We talked about yeah. it extensively. Colin and I talked about it extensively. I think it's a brilliant movie. Then even you live in Buddha, the guy responsible for Dune and Arrival. He dragged me to the big theater, too. Yeah. To the, yeah. what's it called? The IMAX? The big, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You went to go see yeah. an IMAX. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? That's a two hour and 42 minute movie, Esmeralda. So you were like, what yeah, the fuck is going real on? Long. <laughs> <laughs> it was real long. It was real long. <sighs> I saw it with my parents. My parents were like, can we leave anytime soon? I'm like, no. <laughs> it's like, we know what's going to happen. Yeah, come on. Th- come on now. And, uh, so, but anyway. Someone's a robot. I right. don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Pick, pick one more, Esmeralda. And we can get to these other ones at another time, but pick one more. Um, how about one of the most uh, loved movies, at least cult wise, The Big Lebowski? Yeah. Another one that I was on board from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so apparently a ton, tons of critics hated, they did. hated the dude. Uh, particularly, they have a little quote here from uh, Ken Fox of TV Guide it said, what a strange reversal of fortune. Two years after Joel and Ethan Cohen delivered Fargo. The film that will probably stand as the filmmaker's finest moment comes the long-awaited follow-up, and it's without question their worst. Wow. <laughs> yeah, people hated it, and they hated that it was their follow-up to Fargo. Um, and I remember I, I, I saw a screening of it, and I loved it. I mean, I loved it from mm-hmm. the beginning. I was on board, and it, and it also helps that my favorite actor ever is in it, and he's fucking amazing in it. You know, yeah. uh, so that helps. But I was I was with it from the beginning, and I remember I had saw I saw it at a screening, and then the night it opened, I went with a whole bunch of my friends. Uh, speaking of Simon's, we were, we all went, all my buddies, about six of us went. Everybody hated it, hated Interesting. it, hated it. When we when we got out, they were like, "What the fuck was that?" And I'm like, "I, I think it's brilliant. I think it's hilarious," and they hated it. Um, and and then slowly it took years for people to. 
to get into it. Now, of course, you know, they have, you know, they have Lebowski Fest every year now. It's like a... a yeah. And it's considered... There is a Lebowski bar in Iceland. <laughs> that's right. It is Lebowski-themed. That's, right. yes, that's right. You told me about that. That's fantastic. But yeah, and and, so, and, yeah. and now it is considered the, you know, and, and Jeff Bridges is now the dude. I mean, that's like... Oh, the, yeah. It's the quintessential... Je- I don't think it's his best role, but it's the quintessential role of Jeff Bridges' career, and he's embraced that. I mean, his you know what the name of his band is, right? What's that? The Abiders. That's the name uh. that's the name of his band. So but yeah, but when it came out, Esmeralda, everybody hated it. They were like, you know, the that's big so Oscar nominated, you know, Francis McDormand won an Academy Award for Fargo and it was this big critical mm-hmm. thing. And then they do this goofy ass movie about LA I'd be curious. <laughs> I'd be curious to ask people that hated it and if they now like it. What was the turn? Like, what made them? I, it it well, took what made them my, hate it, and then my, what like, my, I, brought them. I, I can speak for my friends who now love it. Those people that I went mm-hmm. to see it with who hated it that night. It took repeated viewings, and they honestly said, and I'm not being a dick, you know, like oh, I got it, and they didn't, but they didn't get it at first. Yeah. And I and I well, really cause that's think, interesting because like who's watching movies they don't like? Yeah. Well, I think so a lot you of have people, to, but you have to rewatch. It. <laughs> well, it's it's that, and it's also that, and I think it's because it's the Coen Brothers, and everybody loves the Coen Brothers so much that they were like, "Well, I got to give this one a second chance. Maybe I was wrong." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I saw Silence of the Lambs in the theater three and a half times, and I hate that movie. And, and you're I went still like no. Nah. Well, I went, <laughs> yeah, I went because my, every single person that I know loved it and loves it, and I was like, "Well, shit, I must be missing something. I must be." And I went back. I went back a fourth time, and I left a half an hour in the fourth time. I was like, I can't. I don't. You people are all nuts. <laughs> so I tried. I honestly tried with Silence of the Lambs because everybody that I know and respect and love adores that movie to this point, and I hate it. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe some people in that in that regard with Lebowski were like, well, it's a Coen Brothers movie. I should probably give it a second chance. I think that's what it was. Well, good thing they did. Yeah. Uh, now, do you like the you like the Big Lebowski as well? Yeah, I don't. It's yeah, I don't. I don't understand why you wouldn't like it. Yeah, well, people hate it. Like, it's very silly. Yeah, I loved it, and it's Jeff Bridges. <laughs> it's fucking great. Yeah, that character itself is so great. And God, John Goodman. Oh God, Goodman is so funny. <laughs> oh, in it. No. So... Yeah, just them. Yeah, because shut the make... fuck up, Donnie. <laughs> Didn't they make a sequel with one of... Um... Well, yeah, yeah, John Turturro. He played Jesus. Jesus yeah. rolls. And uh, <laughs> uh, you don't fuck with the Jesus. Uh, yeah, he made a sequel that he wrote and directed, and he played Jesus in it, and a couple of other characters came back. And uh, and also, you, it's like when Donnie dies and they throw the ashes. Oh, I don't, my God. The, the movie yeah, is, like, how do you not like it? I know, exactly. <laughs> when people... <laughs> Uh, well, people like it now. They love it now. But there was that period right. of time back in 1998. People hated it when it first came out. The majority of people who saw it and the critics who saw it hated it. So, yeah. Interesting. interesting. Well, there's more yeah. other pop culture things that people hated, but now they love. But you know what we love? Kit Kat. Right. I'm just going to keep segueing, Esmeralda, Kit this whole Kat. episode. I mean, good job, Thank you. professional. <laughs> Which one do you want to taste first, the scary one or the hazelnuts? Um, let's, go with the, let's go with the hazelnut. Okay. So 
Is the hazelnut the real hazelnuts on the on the on the uh, package? <clears throat> yes, on the package, which makes me assume that this is gonna be hazelnut. Very hazelnutty. <laughs> All right, I got it. Uh, um, here we go. Okay, so it's a white chocolate. Mm-hmm. Look, looking thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, hazelnutty. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I was expecting it more to taste like. Nutella? No, it does not. No, it's got no. its own. Well, it does have the white chocolate on the outside, so. Yeah, the white chocolate is the overriding flavor. Mm-hmm. So. Mm. Well, that's nice. It's really good. <laughs> Hazelnut Asian uh, Kit Kat. Very good. All right. Now the scary Kit Kat. I have a Wolfman. I have a, um, a Dracula, but I dropped my phone. And I don't know where it is, so I wasn't able to translate. Okay. I literally have no clue where it dropped. I just heard a drop, and then it just, it's gone now. Okay, Jake's not eating it, is he? No, okay. no. Uh, um, well, it is. I will. I will say this. You know, you said it was going to be a regular Kit Kat. It looks like a regular Kit Kat. I opened it. It's regular right. chocolate. Did so you do see. the translation of what it is? Uh, no, I didn't. Let me try. That. Oh, so I'm curious what the talking hands because they are teaching you sign language. They are. By the way, uh, it's a regular Kit Kat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I'm gonna. Tr- I don't have time to translate it right now, but I will translate it, and, uh, and I'll and I'll I'll send it to you. And we can post it on the uh, in, uh, on the Instagram. Yeah, we can learn some sign language. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Cool. Um. All right. That's just a regular Kit Kat, so it's good. Of course. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And the. Um, Hazelnut Kit Kat also good. Yeah, very nice. Okay, and we will get the uh, yeah. Take a take. Uh, I will send a picture of you, of mine to you, and post it on our Instagram. People, you should like us on Instagram. Okay. Follow us on Instagram. Um, I will say this tastes a little darker chocolate mm. than a a U.S. than, a, Kit than Kat. a U.S. Kit Kat. Okay. Hey, by the way, um, the next time we uh, we speak, um. Mm-hmm. Uh, the my, Dan Feinberg will be with us uh, talking nice. about TV and stuff. But then the, 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 that is going to be um, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. So I'm putting a post out right now. I want people to call up with voicemails. It's our anti-Valentine's Day. If you listen to me on the car wash, you know that I hate Valentine's Day. I despise it. Even when I was married, even when I had good relationships going, I hated it. I always, I've always hated it. I think it's a bullshit holiday. Um, and we like to uh, talk about Anti-Valentine's Day. Great breakup songs, great breakup movies, unbelievable heartbreaking stories about, you know, dumping someone or being dumped. It's the anti-Valentine's Day episode. Esmeralda, you and I are going to embrace mm-hmm. everything that is bad about Valentine's Day. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I know that you feel the same way. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So it's anti-Valentine's Day. So what movies should you watch? Anti-Valentine's Day movies. What songs, heartbreaking, depressing songs, anti-Valentine's Day songs? And if you have stories about breakups, horrible breakups and divorces and being dumped or you dumping someone, <laughs> I want to hear those from you, and we will share them on our next episode, which will be on Valentine's Day. It's the anti-Valentine's Day special, so send your anti-Valentine's Day messages and suggestions, nickdpodcast at gmail.com, or your voicemails to 773-417-6948. Movies, songs, stories, all that stuff. It's anti-Valentine's Day on our next episode. If you would like to be a sponsor 
uh, to advertise on the Nick D podcast, contact us, sales at radiomisfits.com. My thanks to Jason Skaggs and uh, everybody uh, at Radio Misfits, including Ed, my good buddy. Rate and review us on every platform, and we'll be back next time with uh, Dan Feinberg and the Anti-Valentine's Day special. So thanks, everybody, for listening uh, to the Nick D podcast. <laughs> <laughs>